Uh, we've been uh, touching base in that throughout the school holidays and we'll be looking at uh, near the end of 1 John into chapter 5 today and be thinking about that. Uh, in the summer holidays we tend to uh, do a smallish series and uh, we haven't been able to do all of 1 John in this time frame but we've been able to do a little bit and gather a bit of a picture of it together. That would be handy if I had that clicker, wouldn't it? I don't know whether you know a, a famous writer called George Bernard Shaw. Uh, some of you would know of him. Uh, he was on a radio show at one stage and on that radio show he was saying that there are two words in the English language that are spelt with S but are pronounced shh. Uh, he didn't say what they were, but uh, he left it there. And uh, a lady wrote in. And the lady wrote in and said, no, 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 you're wrong. There's only one word that is spelt with S and pronounced shh. And she said, it's sugar. Well, George Bernard Shaw wrote back to her, and he wrote back with just three words. He said, Madam... Uh, sorry, forward. Madam, are you sure? <laughs> sure. Uh, Spelt with an S, but uh, sounds like shh. Are you sure? It, it, it's, a, it's a strong word, isn't it? Being sure, being certain. That old Irish saying this, to be sure or to be sure, uh, is to say that it's true, isn't it? That this is what it is. But can we be sure about everything? Are we sure about everything? Are there times when we're unsure? Are there times when we're unsure about all this Jesus stuff? Are there times when we think, well, you know, we've read all this stuff and we're looking at all this stuff, but ah, is it real? You know, this Jesus stuff, it's a great story, but is it any more truth than the story of Alice in Wonderland. I don't know about you, but I know there are times when I feel unsure. There are moments when I have doubts. There's moments when there's times I think, ah, does it all fit together? You come to church on Sunday, you sing great songs, you have a great time with each other, uh, we hear God's word, we read it, it really impacts you. Uh, you go off and then on Monday morning you start to think, ah, is it real? Can I be sure? Well, today we want to help you to go from being unsure to sure. Uh, we want to help you deal with some of those doubts, to work through some of those doubts. Now, we may not be able to answer it all for you this morning because we're only touching in onto it. But I'm hoping that maybe this morning you'll go away from here and the un from unsure will either be crossed out or I just might to have the first line gone through it. Because you see, that's what John was writing about when he wrote 1 John. There's a number of things that John was writing to try and do. But one of the things he was trying to do, he was trying to make sure that people were sure about their faith. They were sure about who Jesus was. They were sure about their eternity. And so if you read the whole of 1 John, 
with that in mind, as one of the things that he's trying to do, then you'll actually start to read it and you'll start to gather a whole lot more. It's different, isn't it? When you know why people are writing something, it helps you understand why they're putting it together. And John was writing this to a group of people who were having a number of things put at them, uh, a number of rugs pulled out from under them, a number of things to try and make them be unsure about Jesus, about their eternity, and about the whole lot. And so he writes to them. If you see in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know and not be unsure that you have eternal life. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to encourage the people that he was writing to back 2,000 years ago to try and get rid of the doubts for them so that they can be sure. And so he can say that to us this morning too. He writes to us, he wants to encourage us to get rid of the doubts too, to remove the doubts. And so he writes to us, and he wants to get us to back to the truth. He wants to affirm the truth to us. He wants to affirm the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So if you go back to chapter uh, 1 John chapter 5 in your Bibles and quickly look at, just going to highlight two verses in the first five and then we're going to mainly concentrate on verses 6 to 12. Uh, and he says there, doesn't he, back there, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the Saviour, is born of God. That is, that they know who God is. They have a relationship with God. And then down in verse 5, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is the one who has eternal life, he goes on to say. So what John is wanting to say to us is that there is a key thing to understanding. He wants you to know that the key of who Jesus is and what he come to do is true. See, what John wants us to know is that Jesus' deity and his humanity and his mission are all true. That Jesus is both God and man who came to seek and save the lost so that we could have eternal life. That's what he wants you to be sure of and to know that because when we know that, then that gives us confidence to go and live it. Because you see, where people wanted to rip out of you and give you doubt are in those three areas, aren't they? In Jesus' deity. People will say to you, oh, no, look, he was a really good man, he was a really good teacher, but he wasn't God. You talk about any other religion that's out there, if you look at who JWs and Mormons, what do they do? They talk about God being a good person, but he's not God. He might even be an angel. He might even be someone special. He might even be a prophet, Muslim, be a prophet, but he's not God. They want to pull that out. They want to make you doubt that. Or some say, well, no, no, well, we, we want him to doubt his humanity. He didn't really come as human. He was actually an angel. He was an angel who came to He wasn't really like us. We, they try and pull that out. And the third area they try and make you doubt is that his mission was to come and die on the cross and rise again to deal with our sin and our darkness and our broken relationship with God so that we could be in perfect relationship with God forever. They want to make you doubt that. Have a quick scoot through YouTube 
And you see, what are people aiming at when they want to make you doubt about Christianity? They'll hit one of those three areas or they'll hit all three. So what John does, that's not new by the way. Okay, we might be thinking, oh, people have got these great new answers, they've got these great new things, you know, they're trying to do this, they've found out this new evidence, they're going to market. Oh, this is wow, this is pretty good, isn't it? Well, no, 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 no. That's exactly what they've been arguing from the very beginning. Because that's what John's arguing against, isn't he? That's what he's saying. The same argument 2,000 years ago against Jesus, the same argument today against Jesus. And so John comes in, he says, look, I want to try and confirm those things for you, that Jesus is both God and man who came to save us. And when we trust that, we have eternal life. So let's have a look at that. We're not going to spend, we don't have all day to spend on it. We could spend a whole lot of time on it, couldn't we? But let's look at the things that John puts in place, the truths that he brings to bear to give us surety on those three things. Well, let's have a look at John chapter 5, verses 6 through to 12. I'm going to read that for you. Uh, it's on the screen or look at any Bible, either way. Uh, this is the one who came by, he's talking about Jesus is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which is given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Witnesses. Court of law, they bring witnesses in, don't they? Uh, back in uh, the time that John was writing, three witnesses were the key number that you needed. And so John comes in with three witnesses, doesn't he? And I actually reckon there's a fourth there as well, which we're going to get to as well. But he comes and he says there's three witnesses to say that Jesus is God, that Jesus is man, and he came to save us. And eternal life is found in him. And he goes through those three here to say these things help confirm that Jesus is who he is and did what he said he was going to do. And the first one he says that this is the one who came by water and blood. Well, the first one's water. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by water? Well, uh, we think what he means by that is when was a point in time when Jesus was confirmed about who he was and there was water involved? Who can remember that? His baptism, wasn't it? At Jesus' baptism, when he was baptised, okay, he went down into the water and he came up and then there were two things that happened, weren't there? The Holy Spirit descended upon him and then there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. Now I've done lots of baptisms and I've actually never seen a, the Spirit descend and I've definitely never heard someone speak from heaven that this is. Why did it happen then? Because God was confirming who Jesus is. 
I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I've sat in assemblies at school and I've sat beside someone and I've started talking to them and having a bit of chat to them. And then as the assembly started, uh, they've announced the special guest and that special guest was the person I was sitting next to and they've got up the front and you think, oh, there you go. I was sitting next to that person that was famous. But I wouldn't have known that until they got up the front and they were announced. In a sense, that's what God's doing here at Jesus' baptism. He is announcing that this person is my son, whom I am well pleased. You see, once Jesus is baptised, then he starts his mission, doesn't he? He goes off to confirm what God says by what he does. And so in the water, he's saying, John's saying to us that at his baptism, it confirms that Jesus is God. He is God with flesh on he is the Son of God. But not only did it happen at his baptism, and it's a confirmation of this, but it's also with the blood. Now, where do we see a confirmation of who God is that includes blood? The crucifixion, isn't it? It's at the cross. It's at the cross that Jesus confirms that he is the one who takes all of ours, all the world's brokenness and sinfulness, all our guilt, all our shame, and takes it upon himself. It's at the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. And then he rises again to show that he defeats death and that life is in his hands, that our life is in his hands. I haven't seen anyone rise from the dead. And even if we see people who have near-death experiences or who have claimed to be dead, they still die. Jesus is the only one. No one else has done it. It's only Jesus who can do it. And so where people want to make you doubt... I want to make you doubt that he did what he did on the cross. I want to make you doubt whether he did rise from the dead. Uh, we watched that movie during the year called Risen, didn't we? Uh, and it was a fictitious story, but it was based on the idea of a centurion who went round to check out whether this Jesus really did rise from the dead. And it was a great movie because you, know, you could actually see that this could possibly happen. Because when people tried to prove that he, wasn't, that he didn't rise from the dead in the very day when he died and rose from the dead, they couldn't. The evidence pointed that he did rise from the dead back then. Let alone now. You see, he's confirming it for us, isn't he? In the water, the pronouncement from God. In his death on the cross, it is finished. In his resurrection, he comes back to life. He wants to make us sure that we can trust this. Because if we're not sure on that, then we're going to doubt whether we have eternal life, aren't we? And there's one more, he says. And it's the Spirit that testifies, and he testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, John knows that we can't always trust our feelings. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a mantra of today, isn't it? If it feels right, then do it. That's a dangerous mantra. It's a very dangerous mantra. 
We've been brought into this world where it's all about feeling and it's all about what was going on for us and it's all about what's happening. But there are people out there who've said they've felt the feeling that it's good to, to abuse a child, that they felt it was right and they didn't. There are people who felt that it's good to go out and run down the middle of the street and run people over. We can't base our life on feelings. And so we need truth. But John knows we need feelings as well, and we're going to talk about it in a second. But first of all, we need truth. And so he says the Spirit, the role of the Spirit for us is not just so that we feel the Spirit in us first and foremost, but that he confirms the truth within us and that he actually brings the truth to us. What does Jesus say to his disciples that the Spirit will do for them? You can remember that. He says that you, the Spirit will enable you to remember the truth and to be able to write it down. You see, the Spirit of truth gives us the Spirit-infused Word of God. You see, that's what this is. It's not just a book written by humans. It's not just a story that they made up. But it's the Spirit of truth enabling them to write that. That's what Jesus was saying was going to enable them to do it. The Spirit's going to enable them to do it because the Spirit is truth. And so what we have in the Word of God, we have the Spirit working through people to bring the truth of God to us. And so the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. That is, that it's all Spirit-driven. It all comes from the Spirit. It's the truth. And we have the Word for us. It's there. God's word, spirit-infused, the spirit-imbued, the spirit-written truth is in God's word. But not only does the spirit give us the truth there, but the spirit also speaks to our spirit, doesn't he? In Romans 8, it says the spirit enables through our spirit to confirm that truth for us. You see, this is a great uh, quote, which I, it's not mine. Or someone else. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God to make children of God into the image of God. It's a great quote, isn't it? The Spirit of God takes the Word of God to make the children of God into the image of God. It's the desire of the Spirit to bring the truth of God's Word to us so that we can become children of God and be conformed to be more like Jesus, the one true Son of God. And it's a 100% guarantee. In 1 John 4, verse 13, it says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. In Ephesians 1, it says that it's like, it's like the spirit is the seal, God's seal on our life, that we are his. When we trust and believe in Jesus, we have the spirit within us. And we have 100% of the Spirit within us. You don't get bits of the Spirit. The Spirit is a person. It's whole. The Spirit comes and lives within us. 100%. Now, we might only be experiencing part of that happening within us, only parts of our lives being overthrown or given over to Him, but He will fill us and enable us and that Spirit will overflow from us because He's within us. We need to be praying for God to fill us by His Spirit within we don't have to be praying for the Spirit to come upon or the Spirit to descend. The Spirit is already in us. That's wonderful news and that's a certainty of it. So he says it's the guarantee that he's given to us. 
You don't have to doubt whether you've got the Spirit or not, guys. If you believe and trust in Jesus, you have it. You don't have to doubt whether you need to get more of the Spirit. You have all of the Spirit. You see, where people want to make you doubt, don't they? They make you think you're unspiritual because you haven't got all of it or you haven't got all of this. You're not quite spiritual enough. You haven't got it all sorted yet. You haven't got, you're not completely like Jesus yet. No, 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 that's the Spirit's role. He's going to transform us. He's going to sanctify us. He's going to move within us. But he does it from the inside out. It's a wonderful thing, the Spirit. The Spirit of truth. And it's God's testimony to us within us. It's God's testimony to us through his word. Because all of it is God's testimony, isn't it? That's the fourth witness in a sense. If you read through this verse, John talks about the blood and the water and the spirit, but then he comes in that ultimately all of it is God's testimony to us. Look at there he says in verse 9, We accept human testimony, but what they say about things, but this is God's testimony. God, he is far more trustworthy than any human being. It's God's testimony. It's greater because it's the testimony of God which he has given about his son. You see, it's God telling us this is about who Jesus is. Not some made-up thing, not someone down the road who's decided that they're smarter than everyone else and decides they can post a YouTube clip or write an article or put something out there because they've got the wisdom, they've worked it out. God's testimony is in his word. It's there for us. And we can trust it because it's his. You see, it's all God. All him. Uh, some of you may know the film A Few Good Men. Have you seen it? Uh, with Jack Nicholson and there's a really famous line in it. You can't handle the truth. Well, actually, you can handle the truth. You got it wrong. You can't handle the truth. The truth is that Jesus is God who came to live amongst us in human form who came to die on the cross to take all our shame and guilt who rose from the dead to give us the surety that we have eternal life 1 John 5 11 and 12 says God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has a son has life He who does not have the Son does not have life. You see, John wants to say to you that there is no doubt, 100% guarantee, if you believe and trust in Jesus, then you have eternal life. There is nothing else, no one else, that can guarantee that for you, that gives that to you. He wants to know that for sure. He wants you to have that confidence and that peace that that brings. Uh, there's a story that some of you might have heard in different forms, uh, but there's a story about this uh, a rich man who, who had a huge estate. And uh, in that huge estate, uh, he had a son. Uh, he had a wife, but his wife died when she was young and the son died when he was young as well. And so when the, uh, to the point when he came to die, there was no one left to take the estate. And so uh, the auctioneers came in and decided to auction off everything on the estate. And as they were auctioning off all the bits and pieces, all the stuff uh, that this man had accumulated over all this time, 
Uh, one of the things that was there was a picture of his son who had died many, many years ago in his youth. And no one wanted it. But one lady uh, put up her hand. Uh, she was dressed very shabbily, but she put up her hand and she bought the, 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 the picture of the son. And she got it because she was the son's nanny many, many, many years ago. She loved the son. And even though the son had died, she still treasured the son in her heart. And when the picture came up, she took it and she got it. And when she took it home, and as she was about to place it uh, up on the wall, she noticed that there was a, a bit of an inconsistency in the back of the painting of the picture. And she looked at it and she noticed there was a bump there. And she opened up the back of the picture and behind it was the will for the man that had died, the rich man. Uh, the will couldn't be found anywhere, but here it was in it. And what the will said was that the person who has the son, my son, who takes my son, gets everything, gets the whole estate. See, that's what Jesus is saying here. John is saying to us here, isn't it? The person who has the son, who takes the son, who loves the son, who in a sense possesses the son, Jesus, gets everything gets the lot gets eternity that is wonderful news isn't it that is the best news if we have Jesus we have life you see I think sometimes we've almost discounted or written off the end haven't we in the world that we live in uh, there's another mantra isn't it it's not the destination that matters, it's the journey. Do you know why that matters? Because you don't know the destination. If you don't know the destination, if you don't know what's at the end, well, actually, all, the journey, all you have is the journey. So people have said, well, let's just put everything into the journey. Well, as if you know the destination, it gives you meaning and purpose in the journey. Journey is no less important, but it has purpose, it has meaning, it has direction, it has hope. Because we know the destination. We know it is eternity in perfection with God forever. And the flip side of that, isn't it, which is really dangerous, is if you don't have the sun, then you don't have life. There's the old sign that you might have seen around the place that says, no son, no life, spelt N-O, or no the son, spelt K, and you know life, spelt K. John wanted his readers to be 100% sure eternally secure want to have it locked and sealed and tightened away so that they can live in the world that they're living in with people wanting to drag them about, wanting to make them doubt wanting to pull them apart and he wrote to them and he gave them this letter to give them assurance so that they could be sure can I encourage you to go back and read the rest of 1 John now thinking that that is one of the purposes of his letter. 
and see the amount of times he wants to affirm and encourage you to be sure. To know that Jesus is God. To know that he came to save us. And to know that when we trust and believe in him, we have eternal life. Not maybe, not possibly, but 100% guaranteed that we have eternal life because we have the Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... I want to thank you for your word that is the truth because it's empowered and infused by your spirit, Lord. That what we have before us are your words to us, written by men who are empowered by your spirit to recall the words that you want them to write down for us. Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you as we read that. We hear the wonderful truths. The truths of who Jesus is. Both God and man. Truths of what Jesus came to do. To bring us eternal life. To pay for our sin. To rise again. So that we can be in a living, loving relationship with you now and forever, Lord. Lord, we pray that your spirit will take that and speak to our spirit within us, Lord, and give us that confidence and give us that surety and give us that wonderful hope, Lord, that will enable us to live that out daily, Lord, in the place and the world that you've placed us. Lord, may your spirit do a mighty work within us this morning so that we will know that wonderful assurance that comes from having Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We pray this in his name. Amen.